Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 312. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lended FinTech. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Dan Snyder. He is the CEO and co-founder of Lower.com. Now, Lowe is a really interesting company. They've been flying under the radar until recently, but they've actually built a really successful uh, real estate lending business. And they've done this really in a way that is unusual for fintech companies insofar as they have just bootstrapped this. They haven't raised outside capital until recently. They raised a $100 million Series A uh, led by Excel. And we talk about that in some depth. We talk about why they went and did that, how he's able to build a company with a, in a bootstrapped fashion in today, certainly not the norm in fintech. And we talk about how their approach to the market differs from others, how their underwriting works, and much more. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's uh, let's kick it off with a little bit of background about yourself. Why don't you give the listeners some of the the highlights of your career to date before before you started lower? Since seventh grade, I had dreamed of being a lawyer. <laughs> my mom was a real estate attorney and owned a title company, and so I was like my dream. And ended up taking a little bit of a left turn, right turn, and ended up in the mortgage business. It's not something that I don't think anyone really dreams of being in. And then yet though, now it's like the greatest career and one of the greatest causes, I think, period. So I uh, didn't go to law school, ended up working at Wells Fargo, worked up the ranks there a little bit and um, and doing like sales finance and, and same as cash financing for like jewelry stores at what have you. Okay. And uh, I bought my first house when I was 22 or 23. I was like a fixer upper downtown Columbus, Ohio. And, uh, meet my wife three years, four years later, sold the home and ended up having over $100,000 in equity in that house. And that's what really kind of spurred my interest in the whole mortgage space and how I ended up co-founding what is now Homeside, I guess, in 2014. Right, right. Just like that crazy wealth appreciation. Right, right. Yeah, understood. So tell us a little bit about the founding story of Homeside and then what what you decided to do and launch lower and how those two sort of fit together. I was like leading the lending division of a, of a small depository bank. And we had grown that thing to a billion dollars or so in, in loan volume. And, you know, we wanted to continue to offer best in class product. And yet what we found is that like banks, they weren't completely and relentlessly focused on that mortgage experience. So we started Homeside in 2014 with a couple of co-founders with the idea of building like a next gen bank for mortgages that blended like technology and a handshake. That was our thing. It was like, all right, how can we create a great platform for folks to connect into that were sick of working at a bank maybe? And we started in 2014 and just grew rapidly across the country. We were able to like bring in great, you know, experienced folks that had contingencies of business, had partners with realtors or builders, and they plugged into home side and, and really, you know, served and grew that business. And then in 2018, there was such a growing need for a complete digital experience. Right. And so we went to the drawing board and that's when we created Lower. And Lower 
is meant to be that kind of pure play digital experience. I think we cater towards that millennial, late stage millennial to the Gen Z and getting them into that home ownership journey. Um, but anybody that watches like streaming video or doesn't want to go uh, maybe the traditional path can also enjoy a digital experience. And, you know, uh, one, one thing led to another. And now we, with our recent funding round, it kind of sits from the landscape of lower corporation. And then we've got a direct consumer channel that is the digital experience. We have our channel partner network where Homesite is the largest of those brands. And so what we found is that Homesite is a brand. And then we've got 18 other brands of our retail channel partners that we've been able to bring in and we continue to expand that. And then our, of course, our whole ecosystem of other products. And we're really trying to approach it as wherever the customer wants to interact in order to get a home, we want to be there for them. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So then before we dig into all of that, let's take a step back and, and I'd love to get your perspective on the US housing market right now. It's, uh, it's obviously had a pretty crazy uh, 18 months or so. Where do we stand right now and what's your view as far as uh, home ownership and, and the challenges there? You know, obviously, I'm bullish on the housing market, and I have been. I mean, this really, I think if you've been in and dialed into this, like you have, you've seen that, I mean, there was demand for home ownership for years, and the cost of home ownership continued to rise. And over the course of, if you go back of home appreciation, we've had consistent appreciation for decades and with a couple of blips in 08, a couple of blips. And now we're seeing this uh, awakening, if you will. The pandemic caused a called the Great Migration, where folks from New York, California, you, now that you can work anywhere you want, um, you can live anywhere you want. And so if you're living in California, New York, these high appreciation, you come into Columbus, Ohio, and all of a sudden a $500,000 house isn't expensive to you. It started to block the first-time homeowners some. Like a lot of folks in my neighborhood have relocated from higher net worth areas, if you will. And so I think it's created this inventory crunch. The average price now is what uh, in some markets has increased 44%. If you look at like Austin, Texas or Nashville, even in Cleveland, it's gone up significantly, you know, from where it normally would be. And it's think it's, it's blocking out a lot of people. It sets up really well for folks like us because you know, the traditional mortgage lender or bank is they're really there for you in that moment of transaction. And that's what we can do. We play in that. But also when customers come into lower.com, they can start with a savings account. They can put a goal in place. And so maybe they have to rent for the next couple of years. At least we're starting to get them on that path so that when inventory frees up, which I think it's going to, because of even though builders are not going to be able to catch us up independently, I do think there's whether it's the forbearance uh, restrictions being lifted, the foreclosure moratoriums being lifted. I think there's going to be some inventory that's going to come on the rest of the year. You know, I think you'll have more uh, activity in the home purchase space towards the second half than you saw in the first half. Everything's been really gridlocked. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, so let's dig into to lower. And you've just touched on it just there, but I, I'm on your website right now and I see you've got, you've got like four tiles Finance, save, buy, sell, which is one tile, and then insure. When I first sort of went to your website, I expected you know, the real focus on the finance, but it seems like you've got like four different streams here. So tell us a little about the suite of products and why go beyond just the financing product. Clearly, our core product is our home finance 
But with the barriers to entry being so high, we wanted to really provide a more of a holistic approach. And for a number of reasons, I mean, number one, we really want to provide as much as possible, no dead ends. So that if a consumer came through and that were interested in home ownership and they couldn't buy that house, so they couldn't put the down payment together, you name it, there's all host. Maybe their credit score wasn't good enough that, you know, we would be able to keep them in our ecosystem you know, so that when the time is right, they would think of us. And then the second thing is just on a cost side. It's unrealistic to be the lowest price in the moment every single minute, but we can aim to be a lower price and give great service if we're capturing more wallet share of the customer. And you've seen folks do this. You've seen like SoFi do this and some other folks that we really have a lot of respect for, but our focus is only on that home, like on that home ownership journey. We're not trying to get into investments. We're not trying to get into you know, life insurance. We're, we're really singularly focused on, okay, lightweight, download our app, go on our site. What's your credit score? Okay, that's good. What, where do you have in savings? If you have everything, great. We'll help you do a loan. If you don't, let's help you save a few bucks. I mean, like it's a novel concept and yet not very many people do it. Yeah, no, it's, 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 that's really true. That's, that's true. So then you've mentioned it. I want to go into, like you said, this combination of tech and the personal approach. You said tech and a handshake or whatever. Tell us a little bit about how you're approaching that, particularly when it comes to underwriting. Are you trying to build a human interaction into the underwriting process itself or how does that work? I think that you're, you're starting to see a lot of innovation in this space in mortgage specifically, and yet there's still such apprehension to embrace it. And so that's what we try to attack is kind of the old guard mentality that you still have to have a whole team of people around making sure that the appraisal is a solid appraisal when there's data and comps that takes out any sort of bias at all. Same thing with underwriting. I mean, if you you look, I think that we had, I just literally was looking at this 680 credit score and above in our portfolio, 45 people defaulted out of 5,514 people. Less than 1%. So it's like we're creating algorithms and other technology to pair with our expert underwriters and team to just make smarter decisions faster, help enable human beings to do more work. I think we're up to now almost 2,000 team members and they're amazing. And our goal is to empower them to be able to do more. And you can do that with technology. That's what we've really embraced. And it's one of the reasons that we've grown so quickly. Like, I'd love to get a sense of the data that uh, that's part of the underwriting process. You, you talked about technology for your people, but what about technology in the actual underwriting process and, and accessing different data sources and that? Can you, can you touch on that? We have a, a custom proprietary um, application we call personal apply, but you come through our application and where we get 85% fill rate, where the industry standard is more like 45%. Customers will fill out the information. And then behind the scenes, we can link your bank accounts, whether it's with Plaid or you name it. There's a whole host of data and APIs that will connect us to data without having to bother you for the information. We can get your employment information. We can get your and verify every single thing we need to make it smooth. And then what we do is we insert in a human touch point when necessary and when it's more efficient. So a 15-minute chat with you or with a first-time home buyer 
or a first-time investor, you name it, right? They're buying the investment property. One of our loan advisors, they don't have to spend time getting all of your employment data. They can spend more time understanding your goals and needs just as a human being. And whether it's on how long you plan on living in the house, you know, what your current life cycle is like. And then we go back to the tech. And we we have a, a document upload tool that is easy to use. It's super secure. It streamlines the, like, the most arduous of process that would normally cause friction at a maybe your traditional place. That's how we think about it. And we continue to double down to create the best product for the mortgage experience. And then also, when we do have conversation over phone, text, email, what have you, it's the stuff that right now AI or machine learning or technology just can't quite pick up. Like it's the, these are the risks of buying that duplex. So this is the risk of, you have a private road. This is what that means. Like it's hard to solve for everything. That's where we've seen a good balance of tech and people. Uh, the reviews speak for themselves. I mean, we've got 17,000, 18,000 now, five-star reviews, more than I think most other lenders period out there, no matter when they started. You know, That's how we measure our success is on our customer satisfaction. And it's not an award we apply for. It's it's you know no different than a five-star hotel getting TripAdvisor reviews. Like I'm only leaving a review for a restaurant or a hotel if they blow me away because it's a pain. And that's the same thing we treat here. Like if you're going to leave us a review on Zillow, you've got to go and create your own account. You have to register your account. Then you have to go and find the account and you have to put some comments down. So we feel like if we're going above and beyond for our consumer at the right points, making it an easy experience, then we'll continue to keep doubling down and making the tech work and the human element work. So on that though, I mean, you can talk to other other CEOs of, of some of the you know the digital lenders, uh, some of the traditional lenders as well, that talk a similar type thing about how their tech is streamlined and their customers are really satisfied. And I mean, there are obviously some very very big players in the space. Some that have gone public in the last uh, in the last few months, and others that are going. But I mean, I can see how you differentiate yourself from the traditional lenders because they still have, for the most part, a pretty clunky experience. But there are digital lenders out there that are bringing a streamlined kind of process in place here. How do you differentiate between those companies? Someone asked me once, like, there seems like a lot of noise right now. Like, there's a lot of folks, just like you said. I, I think that what you're seeing is that like, what's happened in maybe some of the neo-banking with Chime and Monzo or investments with Robinhood, you're starting to see more entrance into this on the lending space. And so there are very few full stack digital lenders like like Lower, where we are the from originator to we service 94% of our loans. Hmm. So there's a couple others out there. So I think that from a differentiation, what we work on is to make sure that we're not just doing tech for tech's sake, if that makes sense. Like there's a lot of talk. And yet I'm patrolling the floor myself and making sure that it is really working. Like you don't want to have an API that connects and does digital employment verification if it doesn't work. Or you don't have you don't layer in the OCR technology uh, to read self-employment documents if you don't trust the data and it doesn't work. And so we're both building our own, we're buying some, we're partnering, we're testing, and we're not afraid to tear it down if it's not working. I think that's ultimately not necessarily the flashiest thing. It's just it's starting to work for us. Then what we'll do is we'll say, you know what? 
our document upload tool is best in class. And it is. Our application is best in class. As an example, like Blend, which we've used in the past, which is a great product. It's just not as good as what we've got. And so I think that's where we start differentiating is in that letting the consumer tell us the idea was good. It just didn't resonate. Like the idea that I could just load up my tax returns and it would verify my income. It didn't really work because I had to go and enter in 75 more data points. So we'll just, that didn't work. Let's replace it with something different. That's how we keep doing it. That's going to be the winning formula. Our growth going up, our reviews going up, our word of mouth and referrals from other customers that are happy from the experience improving. And that's just, that's our scoreboard. Right, right. The one thing that um, is also interesting, I think, about you guys when um, you know, looking at others in the space is that you've really bootstrapped your company here. And I mean, you see others raising massive rounds and uh, I mean, you went out and raised uh, you know, a sizable Series A, but it was, a, it was your first fundraise. And so tell us a little bit about the approach there. Why bootstrap? Why not go out and... Um, you know, and make a big splash with, you know, with the multiple large funding rounds? Fundamentally, my founders and I were interested in building just a great business that was fun to work for and challenged our team members and profitable along the way. There was never a need necessarily until we had the platform built. We were well beyond proof of concept. And now it was it's kind of a cliche of like, you know, pouring gasoline on the fire. That's really getting some jet fuel is what we needed uh, because you're right. There's other competitors to us. There's only a handful of digital lenders out there like us. And some of them have raised more money than we've ever spent in seven years. Right. And so, you know, we raise a hundred million dollars and, you know, that'll allow us to make big investments into to furthering the technology because it's not cheap. It's really not allow us to invest in our servicing platform. Like we plan on bringing the entire thing in house where a lot of large lenders don't do that. They'll outsource the servicing. We, we feel like it's a huge opportunity for us to create the best servicing experience, which is that's what the customer interacts with every month. Instead of using a subservicer out there, that's a big investment. And then I also think that candidly, and it's the reason why we picked Excel is that they're not just a tertiary. They're a blue chip VC. They pick winners. They're not only a big from a capital perspective, they, they know how to take bootstrap companies public, take them to the next level. You've seen it with lots of their companies across multiple verticals. And that's what we're excited for. I mean, we're a, a rapidly growing fintech, but we've never taken any money and we're based in... Columbus, Ohio. So those are just two big knocks. You know, I love Columbus and I love that we've grown it profitably, but you know, we were able to bring on a minority partner with their strength. I mean, it's going to be really fun. I hear the Columbus around a bit. I mean, there's becoming a little bit of a, a tech hub, a fin, even a fintech hub, I would argue. Absolutely. We almost lost our, our soccer team to Austin, which is like the Columbus competitor in that space. And, um, we were able to save the team, and then we named the field. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that was um, that was a surprise. I wasn't expecting you guys to have the naming rights to a major league soccer stadium in Columbus. So, tell us a little bit about why you did that. And obviously, it's not it's not cheap. 
And uh, what are you hoping to get out of it? From a direct-to-consumer perspective, we have to be able to scale centrally as much as possible. So it really, getting the word out and the awareness out was important. So there's an awareness factor. Then there's a opportunity, like how often, it's a once every, I don't know, 10, 20 years, maybe never, that you get an opportunity to not only name a stadium in your headquarters location, but it was, it's right downtown where tons of our employees all live, great ownership team that owned the Browns in the Haslam group. And, um, you know, candidly, I didn't think we'd have shot. These aren't things that, that normally a company like us get the opportunity to do. It's usually your big publicly traded company, you know, the, the utility company or something. And so for us to be able to actually compete and win and get that, it was awesome. Like, it's been great so far. I mean, Columbus is a hot market in general and housing. And so our goal was to be able to, you know, not just be a little tertiary player in our home market, but really kind of gain market share, which we're already seeing a huge spike in uh, consumer awareness and applications just here in our hometown, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is cool. So I'd love to get a sense of the the growth that you've experienced over the last uh 18 months, I mean, since the start of the pandemic. Can you give us some sense of the scale you're at today and how you've grown over the last 18 months? We've been steadily growing, if not like doubling year over year. We did right around $300 million in revenue last year. We plan on doubling it, $5 billion in loan volume. We should come in 9 or $10 billion or so this year. That's before the funding. That's before any sort of even, not that the soccer stadium is going to catapult our growth nationally, but I do think it will help us obtain talent more efficiently locally. I think that our partnership with Excel will help us obtain tech talent nationally. Like I'm already seeing it. I didn't used to be able to pick up the phone or go LinkedIn and get instantly get a call with a top CTO at a a tech firm in Cupertino. And now I can. And that's the power that you get from these types of partnerships with a firm like Excel. So we're already doubling. And I think that this next year, next six months and beyond, like our plan is to really double down on the tech and experience for our mortgage product and then further build out our ancillary products to help with that. So our real estate referral platform, our insurance marketplace. And then our, I loved it, ratchet up our, our home fund match for our savings and our APY to help people save more and give them a, a reason to save more money. Because our, our goal long-term, candidly, is to help people save money and then hope that we do a good enough job that they become a client and do a mortgage with us, right? I mean, like, so, you know, our, our aim is to create more brand awareness, rise up our brand through the country. Right, right. And so what about the, the funding side of the business? I mean, are you, how, how are you funding these loans? Are you, are you securitizing? Are you holding these on balance sheet? Are you selling them right away? How are you funding you know, the, the large number of loans you're doing? We have a number of warehouse bank providers that help facilitate the funding of the loans. We're, we're I'd say 95% of our loans are going direct to Fannie or Freddie, or we're securitizing uh, with Ginny. We're retaining... 90 to 95% of our loans in our servicing portfolio. You couldn't have a better time to do that. I mean, the, the, the quality of loans is just off the charts. 
And it gives us a lot more control over the customer. Yeah, but we're, we're a full soup to nuts. I mean, we do everything from attract the customer, originate, underwrite, close, fund, service, the whole stack. And we already have a strong balance sheet, but you know, you add another hundred million to that and it's even stronger. So we can do more. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, so then what about attracting customers? I mean, uh, you talked about the 18 channel partners that you have. You obviously have a direct-to-consumer business. Tell us a little bit about what are the ways that you're bringing the customer in the door. I think traditionally people focus on, let's see if we can compete in the moment for the customer that's going to Zillow or LendingTree or Bankrate or these, these aggregators. And we do attract and go and compete in those sites and we do really well. I think the lower as the ecosystem, it's a five-letter URL. We, we rank high. When customers are searching for lower mortgage rates, lower insurance rate, you, you name it, we, we get a lot of people coming into our funnel and then we're capturing them within our ecosystem and incubating them to some extent until they're ready to buy a house. Or if they're ready to buy a house, I, we're helping them buy a house. And I mean, it, right now, it's, I think a lot of our consumers, like just anecdotally, are having a lot of fatigue. I mean, it, it is not uncommon where customers have. Um, they're placing 15, 20, 30 offers on a property before they land one. I remember going through this maybe a few years ago, maybe five years ago. And I remember losing out once and my wife and I were like devastated. I couldn't imagine once you're in the double digits, like you would just say, to heck with it. Let's just rent for another year. And I think that's that's definitely a risk. More than interest rates, inventory is... If, if there's a concern that's in, in inventory right now, period. Understood. So we're running out of time, but I want to get to a couple more things. Firstly, you've now got an outside investor. Mind you, you know, a blue chip one, as you mentioned, Excel. But uh, what is the thought process around going to the public markets? You said some of the, some of the biggest, particularly the digital type real estate uh, lenders in the country have all gone public recently. Um, what's, what's your attitude there? Is this something for... For next year or for down way down the track? If you look at some of the other comps, I think from a revenue and a profit perspective, we're, we're to the size where we could maybe economically go public, but from a, like a need, like we, we don't have a capital need. And from a professional maturity of the company, we're not ready yet. I mean, I think that's one of the things where we are very entrepreneurial. We've bootstrapped this company. We've got great team, but We've never even had an institutional partner, let alone the public market scrutiny that would come with that. So we're going to kind of walk before we run there. And we don't even have, um, you know, like a formal board until now. <laughs> so right. we're all experiencing <laughs> this thing for the first time. And so it's, uh, and that's one of the things where Excel has been great. Like a lot of my, whether it's other CEO friends of mine, and they're like, you're going to, you got to watch out for these guys, you know? And I'm like, well, I've got to watch out for the company. Like as long as we have a great performing company, there will be no worries. And also, like we went in this, you know, have really keep doubling down our customer experience, double down on our team, keep being a best place to work, make sure all of that is shored up, and have a long term view. And here's the ten year plan: let's get to a billion in revenue, let's get to three billion in revenue, let's help out more homeowners across the country create wealth through home ownership than any other place, and then everything will work itself out. It's no different than this. I mean, I didn't 
we never sought out a hundred million dollar check. You know, we just built a good company with a good platform and some aspiration. I think. I mean, I think that's what it came down to at the end. It was interesting. Right before the deal closed, Excel had asked, "They're like, are you sure you're ready?" <laughs> and I'm like, well, "Yeah, we've been through all this due diligence and all. I mean, guy, gosh, and like, we're definitely ready." They're like, no, no, no. Like, are you ready to go and like legitimately compete against Rocket? Because that's what we want to do. Right. And I was like, giddy up. That's what we want to do. I mean, we, we've we got such an amazing team. You know, we, we had been talking to them about this. Like, build your career here. We're going to the moon. This is what we're doing. But we can't just do it all with, you know, my founders, Dan's money and my other founders. It's like we needed some institutional horsepower behind us that have seen and helped other companies. And that's what's just so exciting about the, the time horizon, you know, that, that we're on now. We're pumped for. Right, right. Okay, so you've touched on it there, but I'd love you just to end with teasing out the, the vision, the, what, what you have for Lower and, you know, looking, you know, you know, a decade or even two decades down the track. What do you, what do you want to build here? Number one, we want to build a sustainable company, obviously, but we want to be the first look when consumers go to buy a house one day, lowers the first look. We're instantly approving people. We have the data. There shouldn't even really be an application process. There should be an opt-in if you're interested, and then we'll t- and here's your limit. I think there's a whole bunch of other verticals that we can explore to unlock home ownership through by offering mortgage as a service. We're working on that right now, where other popular brands can no different than the big rise in credit cards. Everyone's offering a credit card now. Yep. Instead of giving people more debt, like I'm a huge fan of giving them the opposite. How about some asset? How about some wealth creation? If you can spend money on a $1,200 a month apartment or $2,000 a month apartment, like a lot of our employees do, it's not that much more. And sometimes it's even less to own a home. So, but we have to make it easier. And the odds of making lower a household name in the next two years is unrealistic, but over the next 10, yes, it could happen. And I think by us just connecting into the the pipeline of customers looking to buy a house, that's what we're going to be aiming for to be number one. So 10 years from now, the Columbus, Ohio, you know, there's an Ohio state, Michigan rivalry, as you know, right. Rock gets up in Michigan. We're going to try to overtake them. <laughs> right. Well, that, that, that's a great aspiration and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be following that uh, with great interest. Anyway, Dan, I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. See ya. Bye. You know, I love the innovation that we're seeing in the, in the mortgage lending business. I feel like there's, there's still a lot of a long way to go to, to create a completely digital mortgage experience. We're not quite there yet. The companies like Lower are really raising the bar when it comes to you know, to mortgage lending and and the expectations of consumers. And I feel like fintech has has changed the game here dramatically. And many of the mortgage lenders, the leading mortgage lenders now in the country, are fintech lenders and the. the, the the banks, obviously some of the very largest banks still have substantial um, mortgage businesses, but you're seeing more and more. If you look at the top 10, top 20 lenders, you see more and more of them uh, have, have fintech roots. So I think that's only going to become more so as time goes on. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.